I'd like you to take the Word of God, please, and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, the New Testament book of Ephesians. We'll begin reading in just a moment in the fourth chapter. And the 11th verse. My wife and I have been serving the Lord in the ministry for 55 years. And it's a great honor for us to be here. We have one desire, and that is to please the Lord and to be an encouragement to you. And I'm praying that the Lord will use what I'm going to say for his glory. I love and appreciate your pastor and his wife and family. I've prayed much for him. And I thank God for what he's doing in the life and ministry of John Wilkerson. If you have your Bible open to to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. The Word of God says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be to more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I want you to mark an expression found in the closing part of the 13th verse. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I want to speak to you just a little bit on the subject of our measure. We have all kinds of ways to measure people, to measure events, to measure ministries, to measure churches. It's been my privilege over half a century to speak in lots of wonderful churches. I'm tempted to tell you about some of them because of the way God has blessed And what the Lord has done there, this happens to be one of them. But we need to define our measure the way God defines our measure. And the Word of God tells us very clearly, the measure of our ministry, the measure of our church, the measure of our Christian life is all in its likeness to Jesus Christ. That's the only measure God has. You may have other people trying to measure you with other means, but it doesn't work that way. The only measure God uses for a church, for a life, for a ministry, for my life, your life, for whatever I do, the only measure God uses is in our likeness to Jesus Christ. If you'll hold your place there just for a moment and turn with me back to the book of Galatians. There's a powerful verse of scripture I want you to make note of in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. 
My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. The Apostle Paul writes to these people in Galatia, and he says to them, I'm travailing again, first travailing for your new birth, for your salvation. The word travail is used as it applies to birth. But he said, I'm travailing again. And the travailing again is until Christ be formed in you. And someone's working on you, trying to help you. The Holy Spirit is moving in your life. God is using his word in your life. He's using some circumstances in your life to bring to the place where Christ is formed in you. Back to the book of Galatians in chapter 4. Paul is writing about a behavior of someone who is not a believer. But he says in verse 20 of the fourth chapter, But ye have not so learned Christ. How have you learned Christ? Remember the Lord Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And he said, I'm meek and lowly in heart. He said, get in the yoke with me and learn of me. And Paul is appealing in this prison epistle to Ephesians. And he says, think about how you've learned Christ. He goes on to say in this same passage, not only rebuking them, about what they have not learned in Christ. If so be that ye have heard him, have you heard him? And have been taught by him. Have you been taught by him? As the truth is in Jesus. God is before all things. So all truth comes from him. And this is the word of God. So... What is your measure? How do you see yourself? I trust you're seeing yourself as God sees you. And you're attempting to do what the Lord wants to do in your life. I came to the Lord Jesus Christ as a young teenage boy. I grew up in a gambler's home. My father was a professional gambler. He didn't do it just for a hobby. He did it for a living. And someone confronted me one day about knowing the Lord is my Savior. And I said, when asked by a man, are you a Christian? I said, well, of course I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I have a Bible. I come to church. I had started attending his church. I was involved in the youth choir in the church. But he knew that all the answers I was giving was not the answer he was looking for. Have you been born again? Have you asked God to forgive your sin and by faith trusted the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior? I could not say yes to that. So he walked me down the hallway from the room we were meeting into the pastor's study. And the pastor was waiting. Evidently they'd planned this meeting. That's good. When people team up on you for Jesus, that's a good thing. 
And so when I walked in, Dr. J. William Harbin greeted me, and Don Brakeville said to the pastor, I don't think Clarence has been saved. And they took the word of God and began to talk to me about the Lord, telling me God loved me, that I was a sinner, that my sin had to be paid for, and the payment of my sin is death and hell. But the wonderful thing is that Jesus Christ became a man without ceasing to be God and paid my debt for me. He became sin for me, he who knew no sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. And when they finished talking to me, they asked if I would pray and ask God to forgive my sin and by faith trust the Lord Jesus as my Savior. Now, I was religious like everybody's religious, but I'd never been born again. And that evening, as they spoke to me from the Word of God about salvation, I bowed my head and asked God to forgive my sin. And I trusted the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior. Christ came to live in me. And I truly became a Christian. Bells didn't ring, lights didn't flash. I I didn't feel funny all over, but I knew I'd give my heart to God. But that was just the beginning. That was not the ending. Now, that was as a teenager. But the work of God has gone on in my life. Because it's God's goal not just to be saved, but to have Christ formed in me. To become like the Lord Jesus. To speak like he would speak. To love like he loves. To work with people like he would work with people. That's why he said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Well, in this fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, he makes it very plain. He says he gifted the church. Look how he gifted the church. In verse 11, he says, And he gave some apostles, sent ones, some prophets. And we understand the prophets speaking for the Lord. And some evangelists. And some pastors and teachers. Notice the word pastor. God gave the church a gift. The pastor is a gift from God. And he has a work to do. And the Lord doesn't beat around the bush about the work work we're to do. He gives it to us plainly. Notice the little word F-O-R, for, in verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints. That's where it starts. Again, for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. This is what God's given us to do. The perfecting of the saints, the maturing of people, growing in the grace and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ for the work of the ministry. There are many people who cannot do the work of the ministry because they've never gone through the perfecting of the saints. And then in the work of the ministry, the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's the building up of the body of Christ. But this natural progression follows. And then as we are perfected and grow and mature and serve the Lord, and we grow as a body of believers, he says, till we all come in the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God is working on you and working on me for us to become like his son, the Lord Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. It's one thing to be childlike in our faith, but it's an altogether different thing and a bad thing to be childish. We're to grow, to be like him, that we're not childish, but work, speaking the truth in love. This summarizes all that we're to do speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, you're going to be tempted in life to have people, well-meaning people, try to make a goal out of a byproduct. Meaning by that, the goal must always be God. The goal must always be following the Lord. Even the matter of biblical separation, that is an amazing thing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul was separated with the gospel of God. But he didn't make separation the goal. Separation is a byproduct because Christ is increased in your life as you yield to him. And you're not going to get any more of God. You're not going to get any more of God than you got when you got saved. God doesn't break himself into pieces and give you a little piece and somebody else a big piece. As far as Christ in you, you get all of God you're going to ever get when you're born again. But you're yielding to him. You're to be yielding to him and seeking his blessing and obeying him so that you can speak the truth in love. Now, the Bible makes no secret about how God does this. I want you to hold your place here and turn with me to the book of Acts just for a moment. Paul did an amazing work in the city of Ephesus. He was greatly burdened for that city. Remember, he preached for three months in the synagogue. He rented a house for two years. He used as a launching base for all the known world. He caused such a stir in Ephesus over the salvation of souls, he disrupted the whole city. And the idol makers set the city in an uproar and wanted to put an end to Paul's life. When Paul was finishing his journey, his ministry, he called for the Ephesian elders to meet him in a place called Miletus. I want you to see this in Acts chapter 20, if you have your Bible open there. You see, beloved, there's nothing wrong in this world that a Bible-preaching church with a preacher on fire with God and filled with God's Holy Spirit, couldn't, couldn't correct and make right. There are buildings all across our nation. I'm told that 14 of those buildings close every day in America. I'm saddened by that. But what we need is a church filled with people who remind people of the Lord Jesus. 
The Bible says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. People have every right to come into a place like this and know they're going to hear the truth about any issue, any matter in life. You're going to hear the truth. The pastor is speaking the truth in love. The people who are serving God in the church are speaking the truth in love. You want to know the truth about family? It's found in the Word of God. You want to know the truth about marriage? You find it in the Word of God. You want to find the truth about anything there is in life, God's given us the truth to proclaim to others. And Paul here in this meeting in Miletus, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, rehearses to them about his ministry, how he accomplished what he wrote in the book of Ephesians to our measure in the likeness of Christ. Let's read a bit of it. In Acts chapter 20, the Bible says in verse 17, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. When they were come to him, he said unto them, you know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house teaching both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. The devil liked to blow you off track, liked to blow me off track. As I said earlier, I've been preaching for 55 years. I surrendered my life to the Lord when I was 17 and answered God's call on my life to be a preacher when I was 18. All of my adult life, this is what I've done. And I'm going to give an account to God for, not just what I've done, but how I've done it. But when the Lord looks at me, he wants to see the same thing he desires to see when he looks at you. He wants to see whether or not Christ has been formed in my life. He wants to find out if my measure measured up to his expectation. The measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's the only measure. Some people may be kind enough to say, uh, I, I saw you preach, or I heard you preach, or I've been in your ministry. But that's, that's great. It encourages us. But the fact is, when God looks at us, he's looking for something else. Amen. Our likeness to Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul says to these Ephesian elders. This is how that likeness 
came to Paul's life. He said, I stayed with the gospel of the grace of God. It's such a temptation to leave this. Stay with the gospel of the grace of God. That's what you're trying to do. It's when it's all over and done, what really matters is the same thing that should matter every day. Whether or not you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. There's only one way of salvation. The Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And we might get detoured into a hundred different things. But often we find that we've been tricked and deceived. But what God wanted us to do was stay with the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, it says, Now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. As we read on in the chapter, we find how this moved the hearts of these Ephesian elders. And the Bible says, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. I wish to God I could say that. I really do. That I've been such a faithful witness. I wish I could say to the Lord, I've been such a faithful witness that I'm pure from the blood of all men, but I can't. It's a goal. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Would you mark that? Because that's another thing that we need to understand. Paul preached all the counsel of God. You hold in your hands the word of God. It liveth and abideth forever. There are 1189 chapters in this Bible, 66 books. It is the word of God. It's God's revelation of himself to us. Some pastors, God help them. Some pastors hop and jump around, and if there's something they think would be too offensive, they, they skip over that. But Paul's testimony was to these Ephesians elders. He said, I have not shunned to preach unto you all the counsel of God. And beloved, you need all the counsel of God. Examine your Bible. Every book of the Bible, 66 books of the Bible, tells us about God. Every book tells us something about God. It's God's book about himself. It's God's revelation of himself. If you neglect one book of the Bible, there's something God wants you to know about him that you won't know because you've missed that book. Look at your Bible. Is some of it not used, not worn, it's not read? All the counsel of God. And then he says in verse 28, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. That's another thing you ought to write down. The Word of God says, take heed to yourself. We, we spend a, a lot of time taking heed to everybody else. As a matter of fact, someone said, the only exercise some people get is jumping to conclusions. You know, they, the fact of the matter is, God says, take heed to yourself. Can you imagine the great Apostle Paul speaking to these Ephesian elders? And he says, you know something. I took heed to myself. While I'm preaching to everybody else, I didn't want to become a castaway. While I was talking about what everybody else ought to do, I wanted to make sure I was doing what God gave me to do. That's the way it works. And you have to do that. You have to say, Lord, help me to take heed to myself. 
Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. We've got that warning. And we have lots of wolves on the loose today. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. And now, and when he says that, when he uses that expression, and now, don't take it lightly. And now, I bring this conclusion, and now, brethren, I commend you to God. You and I are never going to be what God wants us to be until we can have faith to commend things to God. I commend you to God. There's so many people so worried and frustrated about everything imaginable, they just don't give it to the Lord. And uh, we live in a disruptive age. People who are writing about our age, the time in which you and I live, are calling it the great unraveling. Think of that, the great unraveling. They call it the age of compound confusion. There's so many things we read about and hear about that trouble us greatly, especially with the sin against children today. We have to get to the place where we don't try to carry all the burden ourselves. We give it to God. And Paul says to these Ephesian elders, I commend you to God. How could you ever have any peace in your heart about anything with which you deal if you don't give it to the Lord? I commend you to God. That's Christ's likeness. That's what we learn of the Lord. I commend you to God. And then he says, not only do I commend you to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance. An inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I've coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I've showed you in all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And the Bible says in verse 36, and when he had spoken, he kneeled down. I fixed that image in my mind the kneeling Apostle Paul. And he prayed with him. Prayed. I fixed that in my mind. And what did they do? And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. 
If you can use your imagination just for a moment, this great warrior is kneeling down praying. And as he kneels and prays, the elders who are gathered around him are coming near him and nearer and nearer till they embrace him and kiss him. They can't let him go. He's leaving them and going to this ship. How does a person make the kind of impact that this man made on those people's lives? How does it happen? Only through Christ's likeness. When they saw him, they saw the Lord Jesus. When they heard him, they heard the Lord Jesus. They're thinking of what he means to them because of the impact he had on their lives because of his likeness to Jesus Christ. That's what God wants of your life and my life. And you stand by and watch as he boards the ship and you say, why all the tears? Why all the weeping? Why are they having such a hard time letting one man go? Because it wasn't just a man leaving. It was a man who so gave himself to the Lord. Their lives and families and children and futures were changed by his likeness to Jesus Christ. This is called a great church. And I, I don't take that lightly. I've always admired it as such a church. But it's only great in God's eyes as is like Jesus. The pastor is only great in God's eyes as he is like Jesus. And may I say, you and I are only great in God's eyes as we're like the Lord. Because when God pulls out his measuring sticks, the only measuring tool he uses is the stature of the fullness, the likeness of Jesus Christ. And the greatest need we have in this country is not a political revival. It's not just dotting the landscape with more churches. It's for God's people to be like the Lord Jesus. And that way, the witnessing will be done. The soul-winning passion will be going on. The preaching faithfully of God's word will be done because that's exactly what the Lord Jesus would do and will do when we're like him. The measure of it all is in our likeness to Christ. Let's bow in prayer together.